Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. As you see, we're going to be, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 17. D.L. Moody used to tell the story of a man who came to him and said, when, when the Mexican War began, I wanted to enlist. My mother, seeing I was resolved, said, if I became a Christian, I might go. She pleaded and prayed that I might become a Christian, but I wouldn't. I said, when the war was over, I would become a Christian, but not until then. All her pleading was in vain, and at last, when I was going away, she took out a watch and said, My son, your father left this to me when he died. Take it. I want you to remember that every day at 12 o'clock, your mother will be praying for you. Then she gave me her Bible and marked out passages and put a few uh, references in the flight leaf. I took the watch and the Bible just because my mother gave them. I never intended to read the Bible. I went off to Mexico, and one day, while a, on a long, weary march, I, I took out my watch, and it was 12 o'clock. I had been gone for four months, but I remembered that my mother, at that hour, was praying for me. Something prompted me to ask the officer to relieve me for a little while, and I stepped behind a tree away from everybody else in those plains of Mexico and cried out to the God of my mother to save me. Well, God saved him. And after the Mexican War was ended, ended he, he told Dale Moody, Dale Moody that, he said, I have enlisted again to see if I can do any good for my master's cause. A mother's prayers are a special thing. In the hours many mothers have spent in tears over their children for various reasons. God counts it a precious thing. There's only one thing more precious, I think, than a mother's prayer, and that is the prayer of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which is recorded in John 17 for us. As we start this new year, I felt like this would be a good text to cover. Because it shares some truths, some realities that I think we can take with us going into this next year with all the challenges we face, the health challenges, financial, political, community, personal challenges, all that going on. We could, there's some real wonderful pearls in here that I think will be of great value to you before, just like that watch and Bible, take those truths with you into the new year as you go on your journey.
before I, I uh, regards to John 17, this passage talking about uh, Christ's prayer, uh, Philip Malathon, uh, who happens to be the first systematic theologian in the Protestant Reformation, when giving his last lecture shortly before his death, said, There is no voice which has ever been heard, either in heaven or in earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than this prayer offered up by the Son of God himself. It's a special prayer. Not only in it does he pray for himself, but he prays for his disciples, and not only for his disciples, but he prays for us. For you and me specifically, and we're going we're gonna to cover that today. Before we get into it, there's some things I, I, I thought we should note and, and some follow-up questions from those observations. First off, notice the length of time Jesus spent on this point in time. I, I want to capture that. This is right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's nearing the end of his ministry getting ready to walk to the ultimate sacrifice. His time on earth is about an end, and he's only 33. In those 33 years, Jesus found time enough to do all he can do on earth. I think from this, I agree with someone who wrote, it is character, not time, we need to do our work. We need character, not time, to do the work God has given us to do. To make a deep abiding impression, it is not longer life we need, but intensity. That motivation to use that life God has given us well, every day when we wake up and the sun rises, to use that day well, not to waste it, but to make something of it. We've seen examples that a short life can have a dramatic impact, not just on Christ's life, but Christ's life. But there are many lives of those who have lives people who, whose life has been cut short by various reasons, but because of their character, they, their life had a significant impact on the community and even the world and even down through the ages after. You think of the young martyrs that there have been. All the way up through the ages to the point of that young lady uh, at the Columbine shooting who refused to reject Christ and was shot for it. Her life had a, an impact on many others and continues to, to do so. Um, even even now. Then we have those who died young 
whether it's by accident or illness, but their Christian witness had an impact. I was thinking this morning of a, of a young lady that I knew before, and I, I couldn't remember who it was, a young lady who, who had a great Christian witness, and, and she died of an illness. And, and when they had her funeral, many people got saved at her funeral. And there's those who don't live long, but they, they left writing. They wrote a book or two. And I've mentioned that this past year, the, um, the life of God and the soul of man written by a young man in his 20s. And he ended up dying just a few years later. But that book had a tremendous impact on a number of people, including some of the greatest Christian leaders in the past 300 years. So using our time well, the, 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 this idea that we don't need we don't need a long life to have a great impact for Christ in, 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 in our life. It begs the question, am I using my time well? Someone once said, for many of us, a broken column is a fit monument, fit monument of our life. Unfinished, frustrated, useless. Wasted energy, ill-repaired blunders, unfulfilled purposes, fruitless years. Much of that is possibly evil. Much of that was done mechanically and carelessly for the day. Plans ill-conceived and worse executed. Imperfect ideals of life imperfectly realized. Pursuits dictated by uneducated tastes, unchastened whim, academic... Accidental circumstances, and such is the rest respect to which many of us have as we look back over our life. The wasted years I had in sin. Instead, we're expected to use our life well, to not waste it, and and. That begs the question, if we're supposed to be doing something, there's some work, what is the work that God has for us? What work has God given us to do? I think it's really three things, and, and, and I've talked about this before many times. That work is love God, love others, and serve the world. To love God, to, to be obedient to Him, to, to have a, an abiding relationship with Him and not treat Him like a pagan God. Or you just think, if I just check a box, if I just go to church once in a while or read the Bible once in a while, I can live my own life and God will leave me alone. That's a, that's a pagan concept of God. God wants a relationship with us. We love others, love one another, encourage one another, being through open and honest communication, leaning on one another through our struggles, lifting up each other when we have a need, we identify it and, and help that individual with the need, and then also serving the world, helping those in need, helping 
uh, relieve suffering of those who are suffering. Clothing the naked, feeding the hungry. And most importantly, sharing the good news of the gospel. All this work involves prayer, example, and insight into his purpose for us. And this prayer Jesus gives, gives us great insight into his purpose for us. What he intends for us to do, to be involved in. And we're going to talk about that today. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 17. Jesus spoke these things first off. Looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so the Son may glorify you. I think before we get into what Jesus spoke, it's important to kind of go over again some characteristics of Christ's words. And I'll just go through these quickly. First, Christ's words are imperishable. Mark chapter 13 verse 31 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Christ's words are gracious. Luke 4.22 says, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Christ's words were mighty. Luke 4.32 says, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. Christ's words were spiritual. John 6.63 says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Christ's words are life-giving. John 6.68 says, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Christ's words are incomparable. John 7.46 says, The officers answered, Never man... Never any man spake like this man. Christ's words were words of judgment. John 12.48 says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Christ's words will judge us. Or judge those who reject him in the last day. Christ's words are divine. John 14.24 says, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Keep these characteristics in mind as we read his words. Notice that Jesus starts out with Father. A close abiding relationship, an intimate relationship. Isn't it wonderful that through Christ we too may call him Father? I wonder how easy it is to take it for granted, that reality. 
that we can have a close relationship with God like that because of what Jesus did for us. He says, the hour has come. His hour has come. And the, and the hour comes for us all. All of us have an hour, an appointment in which God has directed. Whether it's the hour of salvation or the hour of entire sanctification or an hour of, of witnessing to someone, divine appointment. As God directs it. I was thinking of uh, John Swilling, who founded Phoenix. Uh, when he was in the Valley of the Sun, this vast desert, he was uh, looking over some ruins from the Hohokam Indians, an ancient tribe that's been long gone. But he noticed that they had an irrigation system set in place to, to water their crops. And he thought, well, we can do the same thing. And so you'll find even to this day in Phoenix, large irrigation systems, vast canals directing water to, to needed crops. And I thought, this morning I thought, you know, that's how God directs our life. We're like that water. And those divine appointments where we, we're on the lookout for someone to, to share with and, and God directs us just like a, a, a canal directs water right to a seed. To bring the life of truth to a person. And those hours come. Sometimes for, us, for some of us, the hour of martyrdom comes. And we're expected to either reject Christ or endure suffering. And so it was for Jesus at this hour that he says his prayer. Notice he says, then it says, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. To glorify is to honor, to bring honor to someone. Verse 2, for, for you gave him authority over all flesh. Authority over everyone. He's in charge whether people recognize it or not. He has full authority. But there's a purpose to that authority which is described in the rest of verse 2, so he may give eternal life to all you have given him. That's the purpose. And this eternal life, verse 3, what is it? He explains the eternal life is that they may know you the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. To know God is more than just uh, an academic knowledge of, or maybe an introduction to. It's not like I know John Smith, 
Or I know, yeah, I know a biology. I'm aware of a subject, aware of a person. Knowing in the Bible is, is much, it's an experience. It's a close, the knowledge that only comes with a, a personal connection, a personal experience with. As Psalm says, taste and see that the Lord is good. A lot of people say they know God and they believe in God. But some of those people haven't actually experienced God. And to know, experience, not just God the Father, but also Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. Verse 4, I've glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And he honors God the Father. How does he honor God the Father? By completing the work God gave him to do. And we honor God the same way. Whatever God puts in your path. Verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with, and with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Here we have evidence that Jesus is God. He's eternal. He's always been around. And then beginning with verse 6, he begins to pray for his disciples. And we'll notice there's 12 things he talks about the disciples. And, and as far as I know, all of them apply to us as well. Verse 6, I have revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. So here we have the first one of the disciples that, that Christ revealed the Father to the disciples. And, and, and they were from the world. It's like all of us came from the world. We belonged to the world at one point. And, 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 and we've been taking... We're no longer with the world. We're in the world, we're not with it, but we're going to talk more about that because Jesus prays more about that shortly. Continue with verse 6, They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So here we see the disciples uh, belong to the Father. The Father gave them to Jesus. Disciples have kept God's word. Now that word keep, it's easy to be dismissive of its meaning as well. To keep is to attend to, to guard, to observe, like we kept Christmas yesterday. That is a guarded day for us as our family, not every family takes it very seriously. Some families don't celebrate it at all. But it's a guarded day for us. We have certain activities that we only do that day. And we keep it. We observe it. And, and so it's uh, God's word is special to us. 
And so we keep it, we observe it, we attend to it. Verse 7, now they know that all things you have given me are from you. So the disciples know. Again, there's the word know. They've experienced that all things you give me are from you. And verse 8 explains how. How do they know that all things uh, are from the Father? It's because the words that you gave me, I have given them. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. So Jesus, the Father gave words to Jesus. Jesus gave those words to the disciples. And the disciples received them. Here's another word that's easy easy to be dismissive of. That word receive literally means to take hold of and carry. Like actually giving somebody a present. I gave Missy presents and she gave me presents. And, and I, those presents that she gave me, I took them, took, carried them, took possession of them. They, are now, they now belong to me. And so God's word is, has been given to us and we're expected to receive it, to carry it. And it now belongs to us. Part of who we are how we behave, how we think about things, how we think about life and the people around us. That's what we're talking about here where it says they have received them and know for certain that I came from you. And finally, the last clause of verse 8, they have believed that you sent me. They believed. As we've been going through Romans, we have been talking about the connection between faith and salvation. And so they believed. And we're going to talk more about belief later on. Verse 9. He said, I pray for them, not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. First, I want you to notice the word pray. The word pray there means literally to ask and can be interpreted as ask in the rest of this passage. It's the same word. So Jesus is asking, I ask for them. That's what prayer is, asking. So I'm not... Asking for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. You know we belong to God. And I think God's going to take care of what belongs to him. Verse 10, everything I have is yours, everything you have is mine. And I have been glorified. Christ has been honored in the disciples. You see, because we true we honor Christ when we truly believe.
So many people say they believe and they really don't believe. If I told you right now, do not go home because there is someone inside your house right now that is going to kill you the moment you walk in the door, there is really just three responses and variations of those responses. Three primary responses. The first is, doesn't believe at all. That's stupid. And ignore me. And you go home and you end up getting shot. The second uh, response is, doesn't completely dismiss, but doesn't believe really either. So I might call the police and say, hey, someone told me there's somebody in my house. I don't know if he's crazy or not, but could you go and check just in case? And finally, the, the third belief is, hey, thanks for telling me. Calls the police say, hey, there's someone in my house right now. Because they believe. And that third wholehearted, your actions follow through with what there's, there's, a, there's a reaction to what you're being told. And so your actions follow through with that. That is true belief. Verse 11, Jesus said, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by your name. Notice there's a new dynamic. Jesus is not going to always be right there physically with them. I'm sure that was uh, disconcerting for them. It'd be nice to have Jesus right here with us, physically. But he has a purpose. He asked God to protect them. And, and, and we see, like, the rest of verse 11, the purpose to that, uh, that you've given me, so that they may be one as we are one. There's that purpose of asking for asking for protection. Verse 12, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them is lost except the son of perdition. Christ guarded them. I don't know why Judas was lost. If Jesus was guarding him, why was he lost? Well, St. Augustine had an interesting take on it. He said, because he would not be saved. And Augustine further adds that after the commission of, of his crime, when, uh, after Judas committed his crime, he might have returned to God and found mercy, would he not have? He would have found forgiveness and mercy. 
But Judas only became the son of perdition or, or the son of damnation because of his willful malice, his abuse of grace and instructions of Christ. And was condemned through his own determination to reject Christ. Let's continue. Verse 13, because we're, we're running out of time here. Verse 13, now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. So Jesus speaks, and, and why does he speak? What's the purpose of that? So that, and, and but I'm coming to you, coming to God. Why? Why is, is Jesus doing that? So that they may have my joy completed, and that's, that's part of the process. It's necessary. Christ's joy couldn't be completed in that uh, in us until he returned to the Father. Verse 14, I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. The world hates us too. Why? Same reason. Because we're not of the world. We used to be. But we're not of the world. So we reject it. And we have a clear example of that with, with this woke cancellation business. Not just Christians, but anybody who disagrees with them. I, they, they will cancel them. They'll do everything they can to make sure not only do they lose their job, but they can never get a job again. They will do everything they can to do that. We see a clear example right now in China. They are not only, they used to just harass churches, and they tear one down every once in a while. But now they're going in with full force and demanding that churches no longer teach biblical stuff. That everything has to be directed to the glory of the party. Because the world hates them. Why? Because they're not of the world. You notice the Jews said, I'm not of, not of the world. Verse 15, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus is making it clear, more, probably more likely to us than the Father, that, that he's praying that we're not, taken at, we're not taken out of the world compared to those Christian, Christians throughout history who have felt the best way to live a Christian life is to live in seclusion, but that's not what God wants. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And, and there's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that shortly. But he prays that you protect them from the evil one, protect them from the devil. Verse 16, they are not of the world as I am not of the world. 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So God's word sanctifies us, sets us apart, and we're going to get in more detail of that shortly. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. 
This word sent implies a purpose, and that purpose is going to be described in verse 21, so we'll get back to that too. Verse 19, I sanctify myself for them so they may be sanctified by the truth. Sanctifying being set apart by the truth. How does that happen? What's going on? It's really very simple. The Bible gives us truth. We internalize that truth into our lives. That alters our behavior, the way we live, and that then conflicts with the world. They notice that difference. It sets us apart from them. I'll give you some examples. The Bible says, do not lie, so therefore we don't lie. Some people think, oh, it's okay to lie for certain things, or maybe just little white lies. Uh, those are okay. We say, no, we don't lie. That sets us apart and makes us different. The Bible says, do not steal, so we don't steal. And some people say, well, it's okay to, to take some stuff from the office uh, supply closet or, or goof off during work hours. That's okay. Or, uh, or uh, not return something that we borrowed from a neighbor or a friend. Those aren't that big of a deal. We're stealing, so we don't do that. That sets us apart, makes us different. And they notice that. The Bible says do not lust, and so we don't lust. It's, it's no big deal to, to hear a dirty story or laugh at a dirty joke. It's okay. No, we don't do that. And we, they notice that, and that sets us apart. The Bible says do not gossip. So we don't gossip. And so they notice when we excuse ourselves from conversations when suddenly gossip comes up. Sets us apart from it. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. It makes us different. People will hate us, but also some people go, I want that. Whatever they have, I want. Verse 20, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. I read this verse this week, and it hit me like a truck. Read this passage, I can't tell you how many, hundreds of times probably. The reality of this, on paper, recorded for uh, posterity, that Jesus is talking about us. He's talking about you and he's talking about me. Those who believe in me through their, being the apostles' message. So what does he have to say in, in when he's praying for us? Let's, let's look at that. First off, there could have been a lot of things that he prayed about. I would have thought a lot of, you know, if, if I had been asked to pray for Christians, this probably would not have been the top of my list. But the top of his list was verse 21, May they all be one, 
as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they be one in us. Why? We have our purpose for that. Purpose not only for that, but also the purpose uh, of being sent into the world from verse 18 that I talked about. So the world may believe you sent me. Christ wants us to be in the world and he wants us to be one together and together one with him. So the world may believe that the Father sent Jesus. Verse 22, I've been giving them the glory you've given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. You notice he's repeating himself. Doesn't explain why I thought about it. I wonder if probably it was for emphasis or clarity for our benefits. So we don't don't gloss over these realities. Jesus wants us to be one. He wants us to be sent into the world. He wants us to know that we are loved. Jesus said, Father, verse 24, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am. Jesus prayed for us to be with him someday. And you know God the the Father is going to answer whatever prayer Jesus uh, prays. It's on paper. Jesus asked for it. He's going to get it. We can look forward to being with him. Then they will see my glory. Again, What a day that will be. They will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. They haven't experienced him. They don't know God in a personal way. Experienced God. They haven't felt conviction for sin in their life. They haven't felt forgiveness. They haven't felt love. They haven't felt discouragement. This week I was went through a, a at a bout of, of deep grief. And I bowed my head and I said, Oh God. Please help me. In a few minutes, I began to sense God's presence. And that grief started to dissipate until it was gone. That's experiencing God. The world hasn't known that. Verse 25, however, I have known you and have And these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will make it known. Christ makes it known through us and the Holy Spirit. And once again, we have a purpose here. 
so the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. The same love the between the Father and the Son is offered to us. That same love. God loves you. As you, as you start out this next year, I want you to think about this truth, this reality that God loves you. I hope you experience that in a new and profound way in this coming year. Let us stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.